Hey friends, I hope you've been enjoying Bible Threads. If so, I want to invite you to check out our other podcast offerings. We have something for everyone. From Pastor Mike Novotny's weekly messages, to our Grace Talks devotions, to our writer and blogger, Amber Albee Swenson, who helps us navigate life's challenges with her podcast, Little Things, to Christian educator C.L. Whiteside's podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth, that helps us hold on to biblical truths in a secular world, to Pastor Jeremy Maddock teaching us Bible basics with his podcast, Bible Breath. I promise you, you'll never be in short supply when it comes to strengthening your walk with God. Just go to timeofgrace.org forward slash podcasts or check out the episode notes for all of our podcasts. I want to start today by asking you a question. Of all of the people in the Old Testament who personally experienced the supernatural spirit world, who was it who witnessed the most miraculous events? And here's a hint. We've already covered his life and experience. He lived for 120 years, and his life can be divided into three distinct 40-year segments. Got it? It was Moses. Now, I think that was a fairly easy question, don't you? Now, here's a question that isn't quite so easy. Who in the Old Testament addressed the second most miraculous events? The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. I'll make it a multiple choice. Was it A, Samuel, B, Job, C, Elijah, or D, Elisha? Now, I'm not going to give you the answer right now. I'll let you know at the end of this episode. If you've been listening to this series entitled Intersections, you know that we're exploring when and where the supernatural spirit world intersected with the world of the Bible and where a specific supernatural event occurred. And just a reminder that we won't be exploring the many supernatural events that occurred within the visions that are recorded in the Bible. We'll save those for a possible future series. In our last episode, we examined the life of Joshua and the period of the Judges. Today, we begin with the life of Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel begins with a heartfelt prayer of a woman by the name of Hannah. She was married to a guy named Elkanah. Hannah prayed to the Lord because she was unable to have children, which, which carried a major stigma in the Old Testament times. Hannah prayed and made a vow to the Lord that if he would grant her a son, she would dedicate her son back to the Lord for all the days of his life. Like the judge Samson, this was a Nazarite vow. And if you want to learn about the origins of the Nazarite vow, check out the book of Numbers, 
chapter 6. The Lord heard Hannah's prayer, and in the course of time, we're told, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son whom she named Samuel, which means God has heard. Now, fast forward a few years, no more than five or six, Hannah made good on her vow. She took Samuel to the temple, not the temple, but the tabernacle located at Shiloh, dedicated him to the Lord, and left him to serve the Lord under the supervision of Eli, the high priest. One night, when Samuel was still a boy, the Lord spoke to him while he was sleeping in the tabernacle. We are told that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. But that night, the Lord stepped into the world of Samuel and Eli. The Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel responded, Here I am, and ran to Eli. Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. It's at this point in the biblical text where we get some bit of insight. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The story continues. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Now Eli knew that it was the Lord God who was calling Samuel. So Eli told him to go back and lie down, and if the Lord called him again, he should respond by saying, Speak, for your servant is listening. And that's exactly what Samuel did when the Lord called him one more time. The voice of God spoke directly to Samuel as he commissioned him as a prophet to God's people. Samuel was the first of a long line of prophets who served as God's mouthpiece to his people. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter spoke about Samuel as he explained that Jesus the Christ was the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament prophets had spoken. This is what he wrote. Indeed, all of the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. Over the course of thousand years, God's prophet foretold the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. Now, there's a Bible thread worth exploring. During Samuel's life, the Israelites were constantly having to deal with their nemesis, the Philistines. Perhaps it was because they wanted revenge for Samson killing so many leaders and so many of the elite when he brought down the temple of Dagon. One day, the Israelite army went out to fight the attacking Philistines. It would be a bad day for the Israelite army. It seemed that the Lord was bringing judgment on Israel because of the disobedience of Israel's leaders, Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The two sons are described as wicked, and Eli did nothing about their wicked lives. The Israelite army went to battle, and on the first day they lost 4,000 soldiers. The elders of the people asked themselves, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Then they came up with the idea to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them. 
Long story short, that's what they did. And on the day of battle, Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers, Hophni and Phinehas were killed, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured. When the high priest Eli heard the news about his sons and the Ark of the Covenant, he fell backward off his chair, broke his neck, and died. What a sad, sad day for Israel. The Philistines thought that they had a great day because they had captured Israel's God. They took the Ark of the Covenant to the Temple of Dagon and set it alongside the statue of Dagon. Now the Lord God showed up there in the Philistine town of Ashdod. The following morning, the people found that the statue of Dagon had fallen to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. Now, they set Dagon back up in his place, and guess what they found the next morning? Dagon had fallen on his face before the Ark of the Covenant again. His head and his hands had broken off. Only his body remained as bowing before the Ark. In addition, the people living in Ashdod and the surrounding area were suddenly afflicted with tumors that often resulted in death. The Hebrew word suggests that they had a serious gastrointestinal problem, possibly dysentery, or a serious case of hemorrhoids. Other Bible scholars suggest that the tumors were the swelling of the lymph nodes in the groin, a symptom similar to bubonic plague. Either way, the tumors resulted in death. Okay, enough of the medical details. I'll move on. The leaders of the city of Ashdod eventually concluded that these tumors were because Israel's Ark of the Covenant was in their city. So they sent the Ark to the Philistine city of Gath. Guess what? Tumors developed among the people of Gath. So the leaders of Gath sent the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistine city of Ekron. Guess what? There was a tumor reboot in Ekron. The Philistines continued to move the Ark of the Covenant throughout their land with the same result everywhere it went. Finally, after seven months, the Philistines decided to send the Ark back to Israel. However, some of the Philistine religious leaders suggested that they send the Ark along with a guilt offering to appease Israel's God. The guilt offering? Five gold tumors. Who knows what they looked like? And five gold rats. Rats. They must have concluded that rats transmitted the disease that caused the tumors. Now, there were five of each to represent the five Philistine cities. They built a new cart, found two cows to pull it, put the ark on the, on the cart along with the chest containing the gold objects, and sent it back toward Israel. The cows headed straight for the town of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were filled with great joy on that day. But by the end of the day, their joy turned to sorrow. Some of the men of the town, 70 to be exact, opened up the Ark of the Covenant and looked inside. Something which was forbidden by the Lord God. As a result, God showed up on that day and put the 70 men to death. It can be a dreadful thing to disobey the word of the Lord. 
In the decades to follow, there is only one more time that the Lord God showed up during the life of Samuel. To be more precise, it was after Samuel had actually died. Let me explain. When Samuel was an old man, Israel's leaders decided they wanted a king to rule them. Despite Samuel's counsel against it, they insisted on having a king, and they got their wish. The Lord God directed Samuel to anoint Saul, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, as king. Now, Saul started out a faithful king, but eventually rejected the Lord God. So the Lord God rejected him. The last time that Samuel was in the presence of King Saul, he told Saul that the Lord had rejected him because of his disobedience and unfaithfulness. Fast forward to the end of Saul's life. Samuel was dead, and Saul was about to go into battle against the Philistines. Saul had sought the Lord for advice, but the Lord had not answered him. So he told his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium. His attendants said that there was a witch in the town of Endor. So Saul disguised himself and went to see her. He asked her to consult a spirit for him, to bring up the spirit of Samuel. When Samuel appeared, Saul lamented that the Lord God had turned away from him, and he wanted Samuel's advice in going to war against the Philistines. Samuel's response to Saul was summed up with these words. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Samuel's message to Saul after his death was the same as his final words to Saul before his death. The Lord had rejected Saul. The details of this supernatural encounter between Saul and the spirit Samuel can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Check it out sometime. There is another example of someone disrespecting the Ark of the Covenant and suffering death for it. His name was Uzzah. Here's the context. David was king over all of Israel by this time. He went up to Jerusalem, conquered it from the Jebusites, and made Jerusalem his capital city. Then David decided that the Ark of the Covenant should be brought to Jerusalem. In the process of transporting it on a cart, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah, who was accompanying the Ark, reached out his hand to steady the Ark, which, according to the biblical text, was an irreverent act that angered the Lord God. Now, now, we need to remember that the ark was the symbol of God's presence among his people. The ark was a big deal. By the way, the ark of the covenant should never have been transported on a cart in the first place. It was designed by the Lord himself to be carried. There were rings on the ark through which poles were inserted. The ark was to be carried by the priests holding the poles. No one was ever to lay a hand on the ark. Throughout the reign of King David, there were no other supernatural intersections, although the Lord did speak through his prophets. When King David anointed Solomon to succeed him, the Lord appeared to Solomon. The Lord said to Solomon, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, Solomon didn't ask for long life or wealth. 
He asks for a discerning heart to judge between right and wrong. And because of Solomon's wise request, the Lord also promised him wealth and honor. Solomon began his reign as king in 970 B.C. and ruled until 931 B.C., 41 years. From the day the Lord appeared to Solomon until the next time he supernaturally stepped into the world of the Bible, nearly 100 years had passed, 96 years to be exact. In 874 B.C., Ahab became the king of Israel. Now, recall that after Solomon's reign, the land of Israel split into two separate kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Ahab was the seventh king to rule Israel, and he was one of Israel's worst kings. He married Jezebel, a foreigner who had no use for Israel's God. Ahab set up an altar in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria, his capital city. Then he constructed a Asherah pole, and as the Bible tells us, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So the Lord called Elijah to be his mouthpiece, his prophet to the kingdom of Israel. During the life of Elijah, the Lord God showed up in a supernatural way, either with the Lord acting directly or by acting through the prophet Elijah. There were 10 of these supernatural events that involved Elijah. Let's take a look at them. Elijah's first assignment was to go to King Ahab and tell him, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Then the Lord God told Elijah to go to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan River, and hide there. In this ravine there was a brook from which Elijah could drink. And as for food... The Lord promised Elijah that ravens would bring him food, both bread and meat, in the morning and in the evening. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It was God's version of DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber Eats. With no rain in the forecast, eventually the brook at Kerith dried up. So the Lord sent Elijah to Zarephath, to the home of a widow and her son. Zarephath was located in Sidon, outside of Israel, along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, modern-day Lebanon. When Elijah arrived at the town gate, he met a woman who was gathering sticks. Elijah asked her for some water and a piece of bread. The woman responded by telling Elijah that she only had a little flour and oil, which she was going to use to make a last meal for her son and herself, and then died. Elijah told her, Don't be afraid, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. This was the third supernatural event in the life of Elijah. Number four. Sometime later, the widow's son became ill and stopped breathing. The woman was devastated, as you can well imagine. Elijah took her son and carried him up to the upper room where he was staying. 
He laid the boy on the bed and stretched himself out on the boy three times while crying out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Number five. During the third year of the drought, the Lord God told Elijah to go and meet King Ahab because rain was now in God's weather forecast. Elijah told King Ahab to summon the people of Israel at Mount Carmel and be sure to invite the 450 prophets of Baal and Jezebel's 400 prophets of Asherah. We're going to have a little contest, Elijah said. The contest was to see whose God could consume a sacrifice by sending fire from heaven. Long story short, Baal and Asherah were unable to do it, but the Lord God did. And if you want to learn more about this miraculous event, I have a podcast episode on Mount Carmel in my podcast series entitled Storylines, Mountains, Part 1. Number 6. Immediately after the fire from heaven event, Elijah had the prophets of Baal rounded up and put to death. Then he told King Ahab to hop on his chariot and head home because the Lord was sending a downpour of rain. And the rain came. Number 7. When wicked Queen Jezebel found out that Elijah had put to death the prophets of Baal, she was none too happy. She vowed to hunt down Elijah and have him killed. So Elijah fled to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. On his journey, Elijah stopped, sat under a broom tree, and was prepared to die. But God wasn't finished with Elijah yet. The angel of the Lord, God himself, showed up to give him food to eat that would sustain him for the rest of his 40-day wilderness journey to Mount Horeb. It kind of reminds you of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, doesn't it? Number 8. Eventually, King Ahab died and was succeeded by King Ahaziah. One day, Ahaziah took a fall and was badly injured. He fell through the lattice in his upper, upper room at the palace in Samaria. Ahaziah sent messengers to consult with the god of Ekron, named Baal-zebub, to determine if he would recover from his injuries. Meanwhile, the angel of the Lord came to Elijah and told him to go meet these messengers and tell them that Ahaziah would not recover. The king was not happy with the news. So Ahaziah sent a captain with 50 men to go and get Elijah. When they arrived, Elijah was sitting on the top of a hill. The captain called out to Elijah to come down. Elijah's response if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And that's what happened. King Ahaziah then sent another captain with fifty men to get Elijah. Guess what happened? Fire from heaven, repeat. Then Ahaziah sent a third captain with fifty men. This captain had the good sense to go and bow before Elijah and plead for his life and the life of his men. The Lord told Elijah to go with the captain to King Ahaziah, where Elijah told him face to face that he would not recover. He would die 
and he did. Numbers 9 and 10. Earlier, Elijah had anointed Elisha to succeed him as prophet. Elijah and Elisha traveled through Israel, stopping at Bethel and then at Jericho before coming to the Jordan River. Elijah intended to cross the Jordan. He took his cloak, rolled it up, and touched the water. Immediately, the water parted so that both Elijah and Elisha could cross it on dry ground. Does that remind you of any other crossing of the Jordan? As Elijah and Elisha walked along, they were separated by a chariot of fire and horses, and Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah would never taste death. There you have it. Ten amazing supernatural events, all from the hand of the Lord God during the life of the prophet Elijah. But wait until we get to our next episode, where we'll discover that during the life of Elisha, he experienced 17 supernatural events. And there you have the answer to the question of who in the Old Testament experienced the second most miraculous events. It was Elisha. Stay tuned for all the details. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. And be sure to check out the other Time of Grace podcasts. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for listening, and God bless.